tuned in to the Community Cats Podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Sarah Archer. Sarah is a writer and a curator who specializes in design and material culture. The author of Catland, Mid-Century Christmas, and The Mid-Century Kitchen, she contributes to Slate, The Atlantic, Architectural Digest, and NewYorker.com. Sarah works with organizations such as Project Meow, through which she adopted two rescue cats, and Morris Animal Refuge. She lives in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Sarah, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. So my first question that I ask of all of my guests is, how did you get passionate for cats? I was fascinated by cats from an early age. I actually remember as a little kid when we used to have book fairs at school, I somehow ended up buying or getting my mom to buy me a book about cat breeds, like a really thick kind of almost scientific (laughs) manual. And I was just fascinated by, you know, their coats, their eye color, going to the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York and seeing cats depicted in art from ancient Egypt, the way they were preserved and mummified and depicted in these amazing scenes of court life. I was just really captivated by them. But like most people in my family, I'm allergic to cats. So I didn't grow up with them. I was sort of admiring them from afar for a long time. And then, you know, never really had one as an adult until I moved in with my now husband, who has been kind of a big fan of rescue cats for a long time and had this wonderful sort of senior brown tabby who's named Keek the Sneak. And I called him Mr. K for short. And I was a little bit kind of hesitant when I first started spending time. I was just like, oh, there's cat hair everywhere. (laughs) You know, it was like, I wasn't used to living with a cat. And he was shy. He was a little aloof at first, as they sometimes are. And then to the process of just kind of taking care of him, feeding him, playing with him, spending time, you know, taking him to the vet when he needed to, he became my buddy. And I became really fascinated by his moods, his likes and dislikes. And it was almost kind of like discovering cats for the first time, you know, as as a grown-up. And since then, I've become really interested because I'm sort of a design person, a material culture person, interested in the proliferation of products for cats and cat furniture and all the sorts of different goods and services that people are interested in and the way in which cats have sort of taken over the web, taken over internet culture. So that in a nutshell is my kind of long and winding cat journey. So you adapted okay to having him around even though you had thought you were allergic? It turns out, and this may be because I had allergy shots as a kid, I think I was in middle school, it was fine. We now have two, Mr. K actually passed away at a very, apologies, that is actually our nine-month-old kitten making some noise in the recycling. Um, Mr. K actually passed away earlier this year at a very advanced age, and we have two rescue cats now, Harvey and Toast, and I don't seem to really have allergies to either one. So I either grew out of it, or, or perhaps that was kind of a reason for my parents to not adopt a cat. So yeah, I basically, it worked out really well. So I have to ask, was it Harvey or Toast that was in the recycling? It was Toast. It's pretty much always Toast. <laughs> we have to get to know the cats on the show. If, yeah. they, if they show themselves, then we have to get to know them. That's exactly. For sure. but yeah, he's, he's, he's activated. <laughs> 
they're still young. If they're nine months old, they're still young. So they're he's definitely a, in the a, kittens. He's a tween. Exactly. He's yeah. <laughs> well, it's, I'm glad you let him romp around the house and everything. So it's uh, part of being a cat parent. So if you talk about being interested in textiles and sort of design and that kind of stuff, and then you have two teenagers there, what <laughs> sort of cat trees and cat climbing entertainment do you have for those kids? Right now we have one of those kind of multi-layered kind of cat condos where there's like a little platform at the top and then there's a little sort of hidey hole in the middle and scratching posts. Both of them are enthusiastic scratchers. And we have a couple of sort of, we have a cardboard fort that we actually made out of extra shipping boxes that they seem to really love. And I was just sort of sign languaging with my husband to take toast upstairs. And we overlook a little park where we live in South Philly. We have a really pretty little sort of playground and park with lots of trees. And there's a little bump out. We're a corner property. So they get to sit in the window and gaze at what we refer to as the bird park. And they love that. So we're we're sort of finding different things that they like. That's excellent. Well, congratulations on being a mom of adolescent cats. (laughs) Thank you. So back to our seriousness here. Here we are approaching the holidays and you've embarked on a project. You've written a book called Catland. Tell me a little bit about this book and how the whole project got going. It's one of those funny things. My first two books are about mid-century design. And I think people who kind of know who I am tend to associate me with like Formica countertops and, you know, mid-century TV shows and stuff. And I'm fascinated by Cold War design, but I'm also interested and have been for a long time in the sort of art, craft and design of Japan. And I was able to spend time there for the first time in person after many years of being researching and writing about uh, Japanese art and culture in 2018. And I was really, really struck by the extent to which people, not just kids, but, you know, grown men, you know, anybody are apt to wear a little enamel cat pin or have sort of a cat, you know, decal on their backpack or, you know, there's this kind of big companies will have like a cat mascot. There's Hello Kitty, you know, all sorts of different sort of icons of cat life in Japan. And it's not considered exclusively something for kids. It's really sort of woven into the fabric of life for everybody. And I started researching more about this. Of course, my husband and I went to a cat cafe in Tokyo because can't not do that. I was really interested to discover that although I thought it would be like a big tourist center, which it is certainly, there were actually lots of people who just live in Tokyo and go to the cafe and kind of get a cup of tea and read comic books and hang out with some cats and then go on their way. So I, I was just fascinated by this dynamic and thought, This is really interesting. It's very different from the way that we experience cats here. And the more I started researching it, one thing that I discovered is that people in Japan don't have a lot of pet cats. The proportion of like human to cat in terms of pet ownership in the US, it's about 4.5, like one in 4.5 people have a pet cat. In Japan, it's closer to like one in 13, which surprised me a lot. I actually probably would have thought that it was the opposite. But in fact, it's precisely because they don't have a lot of pet cats that cat life or cat culture is almost shared or sort of municipal. You know, there are cat mascots of train stations, you know, honorary station masters. There are sort of, you know, all these cat cartoon characters, cat cafes, cat shrines, some of which go back hundreds of years. All sorts of, you know, kind of ways of, you know, neighborhood associations and small islands where groups of people, nonprofit societies kind of share responsibility for feral cats. 
you know, they do TNR, they, they provide veterinary service. And it struck me as just a fascinating way of approaching different kinds of ways of living with these animals. You know, in some cases, it's, it's the classic domestic human pet relationship. In some cases, it's a little different. It's sort of more a collective approach to taking care of cats in a kind of general way, street cats. All the while with this very rich artistic history, there are block prints featuring cats kind of dressed as humans that date back hundreds of years. You know, there's all these kind of fascinating treasures that you discover once you dive in. So that I I just found it irresistible. And my publisher was like, yeah, let's let's do this. (laughs) So in Japan, are there shelters where people adopt cats from or is it done in a different way? My understanding is that it's fairly similar to the way it works here, that you can adopt cats from a shelter. There are also, there are breeders just like there are here. And there are some cafes, like just as like there are cat cafes, there's even one here in Philly called the Kawaii Cat Cafe, which is the Japanese word for cute, where you sort of visit and you can adopt a cat who's there. And, you know, it's it's funny. One of the things I, I discovered when I was researching this is that landlords in Japan, and it's, it's very much a sort of a, Tokyo is very much a city of renters. Apartments tend to be fairly small and landlords are more likely to allow dogs than they are cats, which is kind of the reverse of what it usually is here in the US. Like typically a landlord will allow a cat, not a dog, but you're more apt to see sort of people with tiny dogs living in small apartments. So Cat adoption, I think, is less common there than it is here. People do adopt cats, but they're also more apt to sort of, you know, say, volunteer their time helping one of the animal welfare associations that does TNR, for instance. Do they have an overpopulation problem like there is in China or the United States, which is getting much better, but there still are certainly areas in the United States with overpopulation issues? Definitely. I think they take it very seriously in Tokyo. I noticed when I was walking around there, there are lots of little signs that sort of say, you know, don't feed the strays. And there are active programs to do TNR in cities. And I think that the sort of new frontier of that is that they have this phenomenon of cat islands you may have heard about. The one that I talk about in the book, Tashirojima, is up in sort of the north, the northeastern part of the country. And it's, this is sort of a very uniquely Japanese situation. Basically, the population is very old. That's true for much of the country. Uh, Japan is facing kind of a graying population. They have a relatively low birth rate. And so they have these sort of fishing villages where like young people sort of don't necessarily want to settle because they might want to be in a bigger city. So the population is a bit older and they've sort of reached the point where it's, you know, there's this wonderful cat colony and they might have a cat shrine, but they're like, listen, we cannot take care of 800 cats. Like (laughs) we just can't do this. So groups like Japan sort of equivalent of the ASPCA have been helping the populations of these islands do sort of population control, you know, and kind of adopting out some of the cats to sort of to prevent that. I think that's becoming much more in the past few years. There's much more awareness around that as an issue. Do you struggle to find foster homes for your animals? Are you struggling to communicate with your fosters and keep track of what they need? Introducing Foster Space, powered by Dubert, where recruiting and communicating with your fosters just got a whole lot easier. Need a new foster for an animal? Simply create the foster request in Dubert and it will automatically send to existing Duberteers and also post on your Facebook pages and groups. Need to communicate with your fosters? No problem. Dubert makes it easy to communicate via text with individual fosters or to get messages out to your different groups of fosters. Your fosters can even put in help desk style tickets for questions or supplies they need and the Dubert system will help you keep track and stay organized. 
Check out Foster Space by signing in on your Dubert account today at www.dubert.com. So let's focus in on the book a little bit. Tell us sort of table of content style. If we picked up the book, what would we what we'd look at? Yeah, so it's designed to be a primer for it's uh, the assumption is that you've never been to Japan, you're relatively unfamiliar with let's say most things except for Hello Kitty. That might be your entry point, right? And the categories I divided the contents into are Lucky Cats, which is a chapter about kind of Japan's cat history and sort of going through some of the literature and art places where cats appear in different parts of Japanese art history and folktales. And uh, also the origin story of the beckoning cat, the little statues that you see that have the figures with one paw raised that kind of wave to you. Those are known as maneki neko, which just means beckoning cat. And then there's crafts, which is a whole chapter about the people who weave cat baskets. They're called neko chigura, the people who make the maneki neko figurines, people who make small scaled down cat furniture. There's sort of all these really interesting cottage industries where people across different parts of Japan in many cases that have specific sorts of craft traditions, have sort of tapped into the interest in cats to sort of draw a new audience to that tradition. And then there's a chapter called Nekonomics. And so the word for cat in Japanese is neko. And Nekonomics basically is a kind of uh, portmanteau word that's meant to refer to, uh, refers to sort of the economic benefit that results from a kind of cat attraction. So a cat cafe or the railway station, Kishi, that has an honorary cat station manager saw at least 2 million additional riders coming to that station and, and to the town as a result of having that. And so then that's 2 million more people kind of going out to lunch and, and shopping and, and so forth. So Neconomics is a real phenomenon in Japan. And yeah, so basically it's divided into those three categories and you'll learn about works of art and craft, design, cartoons. And there's a few screenshots from really exceptional TV commercials. There's lots, lots of good stuff. So did you come up with the idea for this book on your own or did you have help? Well, interestingly, I proposed initially, almost half jokingly, because I just thought this is, I don't, they're not going to say yet, yes to this. I proposed to my editor, what if we did a book about cat cafes? Because I'd been in a few different cities around the world and thought that it's, it's so interesting that these are popping up everywhere and they're all a little different anywhere you go. So it's a little bit, it's this, you know, kind of global survey. And she said to me, you know, my boss, their sort of director of their editorial director has been begging me for a book about cats in Japan just more broadly. And so I thought, great, I will put my life on hold <laughs> to work on this. So it was sort of like I had kind of a, the germ of an idea. And then it, it took my editor to say, like, you know, don't just focus on cafes, there's a whole world. And the more I started researching it, the more I realized she was right. It's like, it's this, this book really is the tip of the iceberg. Like this is designed, this book is designed to sort of get you interested in or sort of open your eyes to a whole world of cat culture. And there are, you know, 10 more books on every subtopic. If you get really interested in the art or the crafts, any any aspect of it, there's a lot more to discover. Are there any special photos in the book? If people are thinking about maybe getting this book for the holidays or something like that, is it a visual book or primarily? Very much. It's very, very heavily visual. It's actually, that was really kind of the big challenge because my first two books are very much archival. And that was, it's, that's its own sort of challenge that often will involve, you know, kind of trying to track down the right person at like Whirlpool or something to give you permission to use, you know, a 1965 printout of a dishwasher or something. That's kind of its own thing. But 
For this book, I took my own photos while I was there. And then I also worked with three professional photographers who are based in Tokyo, Rie Yamamoto, Giovanni Piliarvu, who is a native of Sardinia and now lives in Tokyo, and Lee Chapman, who is from the UK originally and also now lives in Tokyo. And I basically kind of worked with them to sort of take these day trips to shrines, hot springs, shops, you know, any place that was a fascinating cat attraction. So there's a lot of original photography in the book, and it's kind of almost like a visual journey. It's sort of, you know, going to Japan is not easy, and especially now in the age of COVID, it may be a while until we're really able to take these kinds of trips. And going to Japan is not something that you sort of decide on a whim, you know, it's a big undertaking. So for someone who's curious, it's basically like a little sort of handheld whirlwind tour of cat life in Japan across city, country, and everything in between. So when you look back at your book, what is the highlight for you in either the capturing of the stories or an event or, you know, what's the little nugget that sticks out for you? Oh, wow. I mean, there were so many little fun surprises. I think one of my favorite things was that Rie Yamamoto, who traveled to Tokoname, which is a region that is part of one of Japan's, they're called the Six Ancient Kiln Sites. They're regions of Japan that are, have been associated with ceramics and pottery production for a really long time. And there's this wonderful factory there. It's a, a small factory, family-owned, called the Baigetsu Tokinomi Doll Factory. And they make beckoning casts and they're, they're slip cast, which instead of throwing things on a potter's wheel, slip casting is when you sort of pour liquid clay into a mold and then take it out and paint it. And she toured the factory and photographed every step of, you know, how these objects are made, you know, putting the whiskers on one by one. It's just wonderful. And it was sort of like seeing the other side of these little figures that you're used to seeing in, you know, a restaurant window or a shop window, you know, the human beings that devote themselves to actually doing this. And they all have life stories and personalities. And the same is true for the people who, you know, run the bookshops. There's a, a wonderful bookstore run by a man named Fumio Anagawa in Tokyo, who donates proceeds to an organization in Japan that's kind of akin to like ASPCA. They do TNR and animal welfare. And they have, it is this heavenly just cat wonderland. It's cat books, magazines, tote bags, cards, comic books, you know, everything you can imagine. And it's, you know, discovering all those little places, even remotely and kind of doing interviews with them through Rie, who was also my translator, just kind of really warmed my heart and kind of thought, you know, it's this, all these people who are not famous are just regular folks putting so much work and effort and love into doing something that makes them happy that also really benefits a lot of these a lot of these kitties. Sarah, if folks are interested in finding out more about the work that you do or purchasing this book, how would they do that? I have a website. You can go online. It is sarah-archer, that's S-A-R-A-H-A-R-C-H-E-R.com. And that'll take you to, there's a, a page on the website for this book for Catland that'll take you to all the places you can buy it. It's all the usual suspects like Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. And there's also a link to IndieBound, which is the website where you can find an independent bookstore near you and order it from there if you'd rather do that. I'm also on Twitter at Sarcher, S-A-R-C-H-E-R. And on Instagram at Sarcherize, that's S-A-R-C-H-E-R-I-Z-E. Excellent. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Only to say that 
Rescue kitties have been life-changing for me. The the opportunity to take care of a rescued kitten and to sort of watch him grow up. And then a few months later to adopt at the very beginning of the pandemic when they were cleaning up, sort of trying to clear out the shelters, a grown-up rescue cat and sort of watching him start to trust us and know that he was he was home is really one of the most moving experiences of my life. And the book is fun, but it's also really, really a labor of love. I kind of didn't realize how much it would be that until I started. Sarah, I want to thank you so much for sharing all the stories with regards to Catland and your travels and experiences. And yes, I think we've all been missing out on travel and hopefully we're back at it. But yeah, the thought of making it to Japan or Europe or anywhere these days, it seems like it's a bit of a challenge. So it may be a while. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much for sharing and thank you for agreeing to be a guest on the show. And I hope we'll have you on again in the future. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. That's it for this week. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We love to hear what you think, and a five-star review really helps others find the show. You can also join the conversation with listeners, cat caretakers, and me on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to hit follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Thanks for listening, and thank you for everything that you do to help create a safe and healthy world for cats.